probably said uh, yeah it has i mean merchants had a huge impact because it brought like it brought a lot more sellers to the platform without having to have that printing background experience Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Hey, wanted to talk a few moments about some sponsors. Scope from Seller Labs. Um, when's the last time you created a listing, right? And when you create that listing, you've got to come up with the keywords, right? It's all keyword dependent. I don't care if it's uh, private label or wholesale. You've got to get it right. Well, what's the best way to get it right? If you're selling a similar product that's really successful, you go and you take and use their keywords. And that's what Scope does for you. It's a phenomenal tool brought to you again by Seller Labs, the leaders in technology uh, when it comes to Amazon right now. They are just crushing it with all their products. But Scope allows you to get that listing right. Get ranked for those keywords as fast as possible. Therefore, you get the sales. So go to sellerlabs.com forward slash scope, use the code word momentum, save a little bit of money, get some free keywords to test, try it out and see if you see an improvement. If you don't, adjust. What's cool about what I love about uh, Seller Labs is that you then message and say, hey, I didn't get this right, Tyler. Hey, Jeff, this isn't working right. What am I doing wrong? And boom, you're going to get the help you need. And that's what you're going to get from Seller Labs. And, and it's a very special group. They've been very, I've been very fortunate to be connected with them. And again, I look over time, they've delivered every single time. You know, same thing I can say for Karen from Solutions for E-Commerce. I mean, she's been carrying my account for a couple of years now, um, and our account, my wife and I, and she really does handle things for us. Um, I mentioned uh, just last week, we created a new listing with forget how many variations, but again, all the flat files uploaded, done as I needed. I pop in, so she'll send me a template, I pop in some information, and then boom, it's handled. Oh wait, these pictures weren't done right, blah, 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 this UPC needs it, boom, modified, adjusted. And again, the communication's been phenomenal too. I get an email pack saying, hey, this was done, or this, you're missing this, Steve, hey, you gotta do this. So, you know, we have those challenges too, and that's why I like working with somebody who's been doing it, and been doing it for a long time. Did you know Karen also does listings for eBay? Yep, lots of them. So if you want to build out that channel, which of course you should, it's Q4, you should be selling everywhere you can, um, Karen can help you with that too. So you got to tell her I've sent you. So you're going to go to solutions for e-commerce forward slash momentum. You're going to save 50 bucks every single month. You're going to save that $50. But more importantly, you're going to get an inventory health report. Um, did you just get hit with monthly long-term storage fees? Well, guess what? If you haven't, they're coming. You want to get that inventory right, and she can help you with that. You got to tell her I sent you. Again, solutions, the number four, e-commerce forward slash momentum will get you into that. Save the 50 bucks. Get that inventory health report, though. That's really, really important. Get that going right away. And I don't want to miss my coach when it comes to retail orb or online orb. When I have a question, and I do, not that we don't, we don't really do much of it anymore, but when I do have a question, I go to Gay Lisby. Because why? Because she's really... She is a coach. I mean, she's really phenomenal, but she also puts out a daily list and you're going to get that list five days a week. You're going to get tons of leads. The number of uh, agreed to amount that you're supposed to get, she, she usually gets to those in the four days. And then the fifth day seems to be a bonus most of the time. Phenomenal group, small amount of uh, buyers where this list is going to. And the best thing is the nuggets that you learn. Hey, why is the red one better than the blue one? Gate can help you with those questions. I saw, hey, I got, um, I got a, the dreaded letter about a brand. 
here's the here's the way you approach it. Hey, receipts. Um, how do you? What's the best practice? I saw her leading instructions, teaching me, the accountant, how to do a better job with it, and it's phenomenal. So it's Gay Lisby's um, a million dollar selling. Um, I'll have the link in here. You've got to use. Um, the, my, my link, and, and it does help me. I don't want to say it that way, but um, it's part of Amazing Freedom with Andy Slammons, Lee Ron, Hirschkorn, and Nate Slammons, so you know you can trust them, okay? So come out to the website, take a look at it, and you will get uh, savings, and you can get two weeks free right now. Only through my link, you get two weeks free. Try it. You don't like it? I get it. Back off. But right now is the time to make money. Get cash flow going right now. And so join, you get two weeks free. The only way you're going to get the two weeks free is if you use my link. It's on this episode. Come on out and give it a try. You will not be disappointed. Again, you're going to see me in there. So reach out if I can help you too. Let's get into the podcast. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 360, Mike Perillo. All right, get ready to have your mind blown. Um, We are going to talk numbers that, let's see, seven, eight, nine-digit numbers, and you're going to be like, oh, no way. I'm telling you, I've seen it. It is absolutely true. And you're going to be like, what? I'm telling you, this will blow your mind. The best part of this conversation is the advice you're going to get on building um, and recognizing the value of your team in ways that you wouldn't think. You know, it's interesting, the ways we used to filter resumes is the way that Mike and his team um, takes advantage of the way Steve used to filter resumes by recognizing talent um, and not excluding talent. Um, and that's that's such different thinking, um, but it's so valuable and hence the reason he's able to have retention and, and, and develop team members and help them be the best they can be. And hence the reason they're having success. So I know that's kind of cryptic, but it's absolutely worth listening all the way through because he drops so many great uh, examples of what you can do to develop people. And he realizes the value that they bring. Um, It's not a technology only business. Um, There are people involved and, and they can be the best asset you have. So let's get into the podcast. And welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. Very excited about today's guest because um, it's so different. It, it's so related, but it's so different than what we do because it's self-built. What we've been told is you need to sell on Amazon or you need to sell on eBay. Um, those are the marketplaces, and you need to take advantage of their market because it's too hard to build out your own marketplace. Well, my guest is going to say it is hard, and it's a barrier to entry. But it can be done if you have the right mindset. And I'm, I'm very excited to hear about this mindset. Mike Perillo. Welcome, Michael. Hi, how's it going? Glad it's going to be here. Glad really to talk well. To you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you because it's been a while. Last time we were together, we got we to gotta tell this conversation. It was such a good <laughs> meal. I mean, it's funny because uh, that's the way the conversation started. This is such a good meal. It was in uh, Vegas. Um, AS, well, no, we weren't there for ASD. I don't know what we were there for, some conference or whatever. But, but we ate at uh, Morimoto's. Yep. And I don't remember which hotel that was in. Uh, MGM, I think. I was believe it was an MGM. The best thing of the meal was like, I forget how much it was, but it was basically the waiter decided what we were going to eat. And that yeah. was so <laughs> cool. That was just such a good meal. At that time, I was a, a pescatarian. I wouldn't eat meat. Now I eat meat. But at that time, um, you know, he brought all kinds of fish. It was such a great meal. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed myself that night. How about yourself? 
Uh, yeah, it was great, and it was uh, a lot of good people that were there. We had a lot of good conversation, and yeah, like you said, the food was amazing. So, Yeah, the conversation, the thing that stuck with me, I mean, there were, there were many things that stuck with me. You and I sat next to each other, but um, and there were some, there was some real depth, real large sellers there, just smart people. Um, the thing that really struck me in our conversation was when you were describing passionately, I mean, I could see it, I can hear it <laughs> in your voice, about the, I mean, it really is AI, technology that you have custom built for you. I mean, it really is AI because it creates it on the spot. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know of a better AI example um, that I actually know somebody who's done it. Oh, just because I know you now. So I actually know somebody who's done it. It's so cool to me though, that A, you think that way. Um, to me, that's, that's exceptional that you have the mind capacity to think that way. But the passion in your voice you weren't bragging. You were very humble about it. But that is so cool, dude. I mean, is that, does that stuff sink in for you? Or is that, I mean, it might be hard for you to hear. But, I mean, you don't realize how inspiring that is. I mean, you know, it's just something that we do and something that, you know, we conceptualize and we plan and then we get to kind of get going. And, you know, it really, I don't know, it doesn't really hit home until you do talk to somebody else about it. And they're like, wow, that's crazy that you do that. I'm like, well, yeah, Um I don't know. It's just like what we did. Well, you're you know? being cool, and you never thought you were going to be cool, right? All of a sudden, you're the yeah, cool kid, Mike. Mike, yeah. you made the cool yeah. list, dude. I mean, you made it, <laughs> all right? Uh, now, it's Steve's cool, so put it in perspective, but it is cool, and I think people will be very excited to hear about it. But, but before we go there, I want to know how and why you got into the shirt business. I mean, why why shirts? Why uh, why design why technology because you're a tech company really aren't you i mean when you uh, say that i mean i'm a tech guy we're a print on demand company but yeah it was a it's an interesting story um i started playing with computers when i was probably in like fifth maybe probably earlier than that probably like second or first grade and i built my own and i was doing all this crazy stuff by the time i hit like eighth grade and i mean what's the crazy I, stuff give me an example of something that weird um trying to figure out how to print t-shirts actually when I was like in eighth grade none of this technology existed hmm. and how to like make stickers and stuff like that that when I was young that's what I wanted to do is like I always had these like funny ideas for shirts but I couldn't figure out how to do it and obviously as an eighth grader I failed because you know hmm. I didn't have a job and I didn't have money and my my parents were um they were putting me through private school so basically I was like you know, I was the kid that made it to private school, but all my friends were driving like nice cars. Or by the time we got to high school, all my friends were driving like nice cars, and we were just kind of getting by. My dad worked a lot. Um, he was very supportive of everything, and he was actually kind of the why private the school family. though. Why private school? Um, what, what were they? Was it the environment of the public school, or did they recognize in you, or they have the the regular parent expectations? Our son is very bright. Um, my dad actually went to private school and I think it was just kind of like, uh, like maybe a religious thing too. Oh, you okay. Know, I, grew, okay. I grew up Catholic, so, okay. um, it was kind of just, I don't know. I, it was never really a question until I went to college and I went to like, I didn't go to a private college. I went to a public college, but yeah, all through like grade school and high school was private. Okay. So. All right. So you, you, did you have the, um, did you have access to technology in private school? Um, that, that was different than maybe public school? It's funny you ask that. Actually, um, yeah, we did. And I became like the computer tech for like, oh, my on. grade school. I, I swear I was building. All right, you're computers. a nerd. All right, you're officially yeah, a nerd. 
I, I, you know, I was a nerd, but I did a lot of sports and stuff too. I was kind of just a chameleon, I guess. I kind of like fit into a lot of different crowds and, you know, I would build a computer and then go out and play basketball with all my friends on the court and, you know, do stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we had access to technology back then. It was pretty early on. It was like, you know, the 480, you know, all the computers were like 486s and, you know, it was like 16 or 256 colors on the screen and it wasn't anything. I don't even think back then, I don't even think dial up was kind of even coming into popularity yet. Uh, but you were the tech probably, guy for the school. You were, yeah, they hired me over the summer to actually like rebuild all the computers and like, um, put them in all the classrooms and set them up and make sure all the software and like windows was installed and all that stuff. And how old were you? Uh, let's see. I was in probably, I was probably in sixth or seventh grade. So would that have been like 10 or 11, I think. Oh my God, dude. That's yeah. crazy. That's, but yeah. that's cool. I mean, you got to, those got to be very cool memories. Um, and, and when you look at the path you chose, um, again, again, you run a print-on-demand company, and we should call it that. However, my opinion, it's the tech side. that That's probably your biggest forte. Um, yeah. You, it led you right there. Yeah, yeah. It, like the, the T-shirt, the want-to-make T-shirts and the stickers, and then plus like the kind of the tech, growing up in tech and things like that kind of did it. It was just many, 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 many years later before I actually ended up back or maybe even starting in the print world. So when, when, um, when I think of most, um, tech people, they're very, uh, analytical, they're very organized. They have a, a very, you know, s succinct mindset, right? They're very, however, um, people who develop some of the developers are very creative. Where would you say you fall on there? Um, I'm probably like, it's funny you mentioned this. We're actually going through um, personality profiles and tests at our company right now to get a better understanding of who's, you know, falls into which category. Um, actually, I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question? Well, which one would you say you fall into? Are you more creative or are you more um, analytical and organized? And that because when a pro when I think of a programmer, right? They're you mm -hmm. know they they envision where they're going and they build these steps and everything's you know. When I learned to program, it was, you know, you numbered them 10, 10 steps between because you were going to add more code later. You know, this I'm really dating myself way back. But uh, I didn't have that ability. You know, mm -hmm. that, that takes a different mindset. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm probably half and half. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of things we do are analytical, you know, um, that we look at a lot of data and we make decisions based on that. But, you know, we're in the print-on-demand space and we largely are a pro our own products business, so we have to be creative too. But I would say that kind of those things go like twofold. Like a lot of times you look at a lot of data and you'll have to come up with something creative for, you know, like a tool that we need to build or something, you know, like thinking outside the box. It's like I, I take a look at all these things that everybody's doing and, and a lot of them are like cookie cutter, um, especially like the print on demand guys. They all kind of follow a lot of the same path. So I'm like, well, what if we, you know, used automation to do this or, you know, we did a, you know, a lot of things differently than they were doing. And I think that's where a lot of success came came from. And then also like kind of building on what's already out there, like seeing what other people have done and taking their ideas and, you know, not stealing them or anything, but necessarily like looking at what people did and be like, OK, I can do this differently and i think that we can automate this and make this a little easier so. well, and that's allowed you to scale uh i mean would you say that that if you look at your number one reason for success it's scale yeah definitely being able to scale using um, technology and being able to custom write our own in-house tools and applications and things like that that really just kind of like work with our company you know they're not i'm not gonna most of them i probably wouldn't turn around and sell 
um, or offer as a service at the moment. But there are a few things that we have worked on that we're like, you know, this really could actually be beneficial for other printers out there because it's it's interesting. The print world is kind of not techie. Like there's a handful of people, but there's not a whole lot of software applications. Well, it's not so, sexy. Like, it's it's yeah. just not sexy. Yeah. I mean, everybody thinks that, you know, um, well, A, the print-on-demand world is really just starting to get exposed to the masses, right? I mean, not everybody. Yeah. I mean, think about it. When you needed a T-shirt, where would you go? When you were a kid and you wanted a T-shirt, other than creating your own, like you, nerd, where would you go? Where would you get one? Yes, Sears. Right? Yeah, Sears. The, the coolest place is if you went to the mall and you went to, and they didn't exist when I was a kid, was that, uh, what's that place? Spencer's Gifts. Oh yeah, yeah. My yeah, kids, humor. my yeah, kids went humor. there, and it was yeah, yeah, it was pretty. That was where you would get one of those crazy shirts with a saying on it. There wasn't a lot, um, you know, way back. So, so I, yeah. I think it's never caught on because it's not sexy, and now it's you know even printing. I think it's like skipping the printers. It's going right to the Amazons, which is new. But I mean the Teesprings or the Red Bubbles or whatever the other company shirts, yeah, yeah spreadshirts, right? It's kind of skipped everything. However, you have it. When when you thought about, I mean, the idea for the technology. All right, first off, let's just give people perspective. How many okay. shirt designs do you have? Come on, <laughs> say it. Two hundred thousand shirt designs. Now everybody's going to say bullshit, right? They're yeah, going to literally say you're full of shit. And then I remember yep. you pulled something up on your comp- <laughs> your phone because I was I was I didn't call BS, but I remember us and you were and now I was drinking a little bit. You were drinking a little bit. We were, you know. Uh, I do remember seeing it. And I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, I was, I had to take a step back. I mean, it was really, it was, it was hundreds of thousands. Yeah, it's everybody's favorite party game at these uh, dinners that we go to. It's like, how many SKUs does Mike have on Amazon, or how many SKUs does he have? Period. Well, on Amazon, at at one point in time, I had close to a hundred million SKUs. Everybody's going to say, no way, that's impossible. I know. And we, we did it through automation like we've kind of been talking about. As of right now, I've got about 45 million SKUs. And I mean, you know, a SKU is a design style, size, and color variation. So, you know, they're all organized well and like, um, you know, variation relationships and things like that. So it's not like we're like overpopulating the masses. But, you know, we built automation that would help us with this because we realized early on that um, for what we were trying to accomplish, which was you know, make money and grow the company and things like that. We, we weren't going to be able to do it by hand. So now at this point, the 45 million, you, Mm -hmm. that when somebody places an order, the order comes to you, you print the shirt, correct? Yeah. Yes, correct. So, um, we do, you know, we did our own design, we do our own listings and we basically do our own distribution direct to consumer. Um, so yeah, it's, we're the full gamut, even though for the most part, we kind of don't want to be, but it's just how it worked out. And it's, you know, I don't know. I guess we figured out we were good at it all the way through the process. Yeah, so. your infrastructure's in place, and it's been in place for how long? Would you say now? Um, we started. Se- well, I started selling in 2006, but we got on Amazon in 2011. Okay. And since then, we've been refining our production process. You know, and yeah. So we, six you know, good years. I mean, it's yeah. realistic to say. And and I asked this question and you were of course saying, yes. Um, I asked the question, I remember talking about, you know, what has merch done to your business? Has it affected your business? And you said, of course, yes. Duh. Thank you. I mean, I think you called me dumb at that point. Yeah. Duh. No, (laughs) I did not. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I, I probably said, uh, yeah, it has. I mean, merch has had a huge impact because it brought like, it brought a lot more sellers to the platform without having to have that printing background experience. But, um, 
what it didn't bring was good designers. So what I mean by that, and I'm not like putting anybody down, but I mean like, you know, there are, there are certain ways to make designs that only like, if you know your equipment, you know what it's good at and what it's bad at. So, um, I see a lot of designs out there that I know won't print very well using the print on demand technology. For example, like large blobs of red on most of these shirts, whatever the problem with the red pigment is, is, you know, it just will not come out well. And then you, you mix that in with merch and maybe, um, kind of inexperienced, uh, printers or, you know, whoever works in their facility probably doesn't know the, the equipment up and down and back and forth. So you kind of end up with two people at that point that don't know how it works and you can create a lot of bad designs. So, um, merch definitely brought, you know, visibility to the print on demand world. And then, um, in some ways it actually helped us too. Yeah, you know, interesting. it's like, yeah, we had good designs, so we were still popular and we're still relevant and, um, we still continue to be because our designs are, you know, our quality is good. You know, we've sold on Amazon. We basically sold on any, on a platform for feedback for, you know, since 2006. So we're very familiar with, you know, things like the customer wants to get a good product and not a crummy printed product or else you get bad reviews, et cetera. So, um, we so focus you on get quality. that. Yeah. We focus on quality over quantity, mm. um, at least in our production process. Are you, so you're not selling the cheapest shirts? No. Um, we, we, a long time ago, we figured out that people, um, people that weren't really familiar with like the t-shirt biz and stuff like that, you know, if you sent them a thin shirt, even if it was like a really good quality shirt, they would think it was cheap. So like we print on like some heavy duty shirts and generally we don't get complaints on that. And it's kind of just that, I don't know if it's like a mindset or whatever, but it's like when they get something that feels like strong and tough and durable, they're like, wow, this is a good product, even though it's cheaper than that thin shirt that we, we could have sold them that might've fit a little bit better. Now, you know, some people are listening to this and is it possible for somebody to do exactly what you did and do it out of their basement or garage still in this day? I mean, is there a way that somebody could actually earn a living, you know, with the old transfer, the heat transfers, or I guess now you can get printers, but, but is it possible to still earn a living doing that as opposed to merch or, you know, using one of these print on demand companies? Absolutely. I mean, honestly, sometimes I miss the days where I did this out of my house and, um, I can tell you a little bit how I got into it and maybe it'll, you know, inspire somebody else out there. Um, like we talked about, I, I started early with a tech background. I worked for several tech companies. Um, I actually worked for Google for a while. And while I was at Google, I realized I had a mountain of debt. And um, I wasn't really making enough money to, you know, uh, pay off my debt. I was kind of just floating along. So I had this idea. I was like, I need to figure out how to make money while I sleep. And because I had no time, I was commuting like three hours a day. And then I was at work like eight or nine hours. And then they always had like after party events that they expected you to go to. So I, I was like, I got to figure out how to make money while I sleep. So what I did is I bought a broken um, large format printer, which is like the ones that print out the giant posters. And it was broken. And I was like, I'm going to figure out how to make money with this thing. So I took it apart. I figured out how to fix it. And um, I figured out I could do um, banners and stuff for my friends. And, you know, I kind of dabbled a little bit in like the, um, you know, selling some of the posters on like eBay. But what ended up happening is, and this just follows suit all the way through to today, is my friends would come along and they'd be like, hey, so you can print on that. Can you print on like a mug or can you print on a T-shirt or can you put stickers? And I'd be like, hang on, give me like, well, back then it was like, hang on, give me a couple of weeks. Now these days it's more like, hey, hang on, give me like six months. But I would go out and find broken equipment and um, I would figure out how it worked just by trying like trial and error and fix it and then figure out a product I could sell with it and and then go from there. And it just kind of like 
you know, it just kind of spiraled and kept going and kept going and kept going. So absolutely you can do stuff like this out of your basement. I mean, there's plenty of machines on the market right now that you could buy for, you know, a couple thousand dollars, but you have to think on the return on investment. Like these machines can make you tons of money if you are driven, if you, you know, work hard, if you, you know, understand and you do, you know, do your research on the market and what's out there and what people are buying. And, you know, that little $4,000 investment might be able to make you like 40,000 bucks and, you know, a couple of months if you get it up and running. You know, um, hearing, I mean, I love the idea that you're keeping your infrastructure costs low because you're doing the the hard work, right? You're putting in the sweat equity. Um, yeah. What you described. Right. And, and 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 my bet is then you understand how to service it, because a lot of cost, uh, you know, having come from the print industry myself, um, you could get you get sucked up by techies and a they're never on your schedule. Right. It always yeah. breaks it when you need it. Always guaranteed. Yeah. And then yeah. getting it repaired is so expensive. So by doing what you're doing, you're describing that. But how do you drive traffic? Because I think that's what people are going to sit there and say. But, you know, Steve, uh, Amazon is the marketplace, right? When you think, uh, you know, if you think about even print-on-demand, they're the 800-pound gorilla now, right? They're the leader on print-on-demand, and yet they only started in the last couple of years. Yep. So, so how does a little guy like you or Steve in his little town in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, how does he build enough of an audience? Well, it used to be, and how, you know, that party trick we were talking about where you answer my, ask how many SKUs I have, it used to be quantity, basically. Like the more SKUs you had, the better off you are. But Mar- uh, Amazon has, and other marketplaces have now done um, a little bit of refining to their rules and things like that. That it's not as easy as it was. And so wait, soon- wait. So let's just make sure I understand. So because you were so large, their algorithm rewarded you back in the day. Back in the day, I mean, there wasn't really an algorithm, and it was like <laughs> it was you. It was more like quantity. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, your now, your it, your store name was on almost all the listings. Okay, and so yeah, you got that benefit. I mean, yeah, and doing things like you know putting in those backend keywords even back then, and you know understanding how to catch somebody searching for a random keyword worked really well for us. But um, times are changing. I mean, we're getting more into like uh, you know now there's too much stuff on Amazon, and so they're trying to trim their catalog, and um, they're enforcing all kinds of rules. And other marketplaces, like I said, are doing this too. So. The key these days is really like good quality listings, maybe like small runs of designs. Like uh, we we do 25 or so of like a certain style or theme now. And then we make sure that we have, you know, good quality photographs. You know, the keywords are like spot on. And we use, you know, we use a couple of tools out there that um, are available to help us with the keywords and figure that out. Having good quality listings. And, you know, there's some there's some people out there that have done some crazy things like figure out. You know, if you have 19 words in your description, that will index. And but if you have this one word in your title, it, you know, it won't index. It's like crazy stuff like that. But the information is out there. You can find it. So what's kind of coming around now, what we're starting to do is get more into that uh, niche kind of thing, you know, like uh, smaller quantities of groupings of shirts, um, you know, more more blank products that we can print on, um, with customized designs or, you know, even our own designs that are unique. Um, you know, things like that, like flasks right now are actually like really popular. And then, you know, the wedding market is kind of like blowing up. And when I say wedding, I mean like bachelorette, bachelor and weddings, you know? So, so you're diving down on that niche with everything you got. 
we're starting to, yeah, not, not everything. Don't get me wrong. Like one thing that I will say, and I want everybody that's listening to understand is you must diversify. Do not put all your eggs in one basket because I have a lot of stories I could tell you about how that failed me and how like four or five years ago, we almost went bankrupt because we had done that. So Mm. we, we learned and, you know, they drove us home in business school when I went to college, but I really didn't realize it until, you know, some of my success got interrupted by an Amazon rule change. So, um, well, wait, 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 let's just stay there a second, because I I think that's, that's valid. Um, so things are going to change outside of your control, but if you were honest, would you say that you saw it coming and you didn't act fast enough or your ego didn't allow you to, or was it just really them just, you know what I mean? Because you run a big business now yourself. I mean, could yeah. you see that they were going to do this and you just didn't, didn't take action? It. Yeah, I, I didn't see it coming because Amazon makes changes all the time. But I should have read the writing on the wall. You know, the and, and, and the writing really is um, you can't control that 800-pound gorilla. You know, they can make rule changes and change something that could put you out of business in a month. And uh, we had an experience like that. And it was basically we had had like I don't know, three or four years of like really good experience, no problems. Everything was great. You know, we were moving along, we were growing and, uh, the timing was actually pretty terrible for us when it happened to us. Um, we put a bunch of money into new equipment. We moved into a bigger facility and that's about the time that we automated those Mm -hmm. listings so we could put a lot out there and they noticed and then they changed the rule. And then over the next like three or four years, they changed the rule several times. Um, about how many listings you could have and things like that. So it was a roller coaster. But what we learned was that you can't, you know, there's going to be plenty of people listening to this that are probably thinking the same thing, but their ratio is probably 80% Amazon sales and 20% everything else. Um, What we're doing now is trying to reduce that down because you should never have, like Amazon is your customer. You're selling to them. You don't sell to their customers. So, you know, you should never have one of your customers be more than 20% of your sales as a general rule of thumb. And I know it's it's really easy and it's really hard to get sucked into this because Amazon is just such low hanging fruit that you can literally put something up there and it sells. And then you kind of, it's almost like a drug. Like you yeah. get addicted to those sales mm-hmm. and it's like, wow, if I do more of this, I can do more of this, do more of this. But what you don't realize is that's one customer. You are literally custom tailoring to one customer. And like I said, if they decide for some reason they don't like you or they, they don't like what you're doing, it's like all that infrastructure and things you built up and all that money and all that, you know, all, all that stuff that came with that can just suddenly stop. And so what I want people to know is do not put all your eggs in one basket. Diversify as much as you can, even if it means kind of reducing what you're selling on Amazon to spend the time working on another platform or working on your own websites or working on you know, driving traffic from Facebook to your own website or your own funnel, you know, like take the time to diversify because you do not want to end up in a position where Amazon is gone all of a sudden, whether it's there against you or somebody else came along and you're sitting there with a payroll of like 15 people, large place, you know, warehouse full inventory. Maybe if you're like me, you have a warehouse full of equipment and inventory. So it's, Hmm. it's very important to diversify. And so you're saying put in the hours, but limit those hours on Amazon, especially to me. It's like what I always tell people, like if they're doing retail arbitrage and they want to move into wholesale or private label, the answer is keep doing what you're doing. Just, you know, fine tune it because you need the cash flow. 
mm-hmm. and then put that additional time. Instead of adding more to that, you build out this other. So you're saying the same thing here. Keep doing what you're doing on Amazon. Keep building what you're building, but immediately get them off. Are you recommending to other people, too, to go on to these other POD sites with their same designs? I mean, it seems kind of simple. I'm, I'm recommending that they do whatever they feel like is going to make them more money. So if that's, you know, going on to these other POD sites or that's building their own or that's, you know, figuring out a way to have, you know, a static brand. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do POD too, you know, and to make it simple, we have static designs, which are our own that don't change. We've got semi-customizable where, you know, it's an element of the design already exists, like a you know a smiley face that you can change the colors on, or and like a, a, hey, Steve's getting married, right? Where you can change yeah. the name. Okay, so that's yeah, an example. Yeah. Okay, and then a and then a fully customizable design. So I mean, the possibilities with POD are really endless, and the ideas and all that are endless. It's just where are you going to sell? What's going to be your niche? How many of those are you going to be in? And how many platforms are you going to you know be on? And what that comes down to is. Really, how much control do you want someone else to have over your business, over your sales, who you're selling to? Because those sites like Spreadshirt and you know Amazon Merch and all those, they they there's they still control whatever you do. Like I said, so if you want full control, build your own website, spend the time driving traffic to it, learn about like social media marketing and even in-person marketing and word of mouth and all of that. It's still everything is still strong and really the the thing out there is consumers are still looking for, even though it may not seem like it, even though they go to Amazon, they're still looking for, you know, positive brands that have a good message, that have a good product, that have good reviews. And there's still a lot of brand loyalty out there. So those little websites and stuff, I mean, I know guys that are doing, you know, a hundred thousand a month on POD with their own website. They don't even sell on Amazon. And if you go to talk to them, they're like, I don't want to. You know, mm. I, I don't I don't want somebody else controlling how my stuff appears or, you know, controlling my business. So, so we have a, one friend who does a print on demand. Now he does uh, or uh, merch, but he does it on Amazon. But he takes um, so clever his uh, and I never thought about this, this is where it'd be like, duh, uh, he's into art on vinyl record albums. Okay, oh, and cool. those <laughs> artists, right, when you think about it, I mean, you think of some of the, like Kiss, for example, that's a good one, right? Think of the mm. art on their albums, how crazy it is. Or El- Elton John, I'll date myself way back, but he had the craziest <laughs> album. But that artist mm-hmm. is famous in that genre. If you're into it, you know who he is, and he knew who all these guys were. So he approached them, and he now represents a couple of these artists, and he sells them on all the different platforms. And so... He has a skill set, and he matched his skill set up with somebody, and then he, he has taken it really, really far. I mean, really, really impressive. A um, couple things that I was thinking about. One, your experience at Google and your ability, you know, I know maybe back in the day, I assume it's changed since you left, uh, but the thinking of that algorithm, kind of that whole mindset in Google where everything's searchable and making everything easier to find, easier to, find to become the dominant is that a huge advantage for you? I mean, when I'm sitting there thinking about that, like, oh, my God, of course he has a huge advantage, uh, or he thinks this way. It, it, I mean, I would assume the culture is a thought process like that there. You know, that is so funny. I've never actually thought about that, and nobody's ever actually said that, but that makes perfect sense because I worked at Google in 2006. They had already gone through, like, kind of their boom, 
but I mean, dude, yeah, the, the, the mantra at that point was like index everything, you know, we want to have everything searchable everywhere and we want to be in everything. And it is funny how you say that because yeah, I guess, you know, five or seven years later when I started automating things, I guess that that concept was in my head and I was like, yeah, we're going to launch like millions of products and we're going to make a lot of money and you know, we're going to catch keywords and do things like, you know, Google was doing back in then with their search engine. I, I never mm. really thought about that, but yeah, you actually hit it like a really good point. It's probably, it's probably, you know, like a deep seated idea that was in the back of my brain that, you know, I was like, I can do this. I can do this. I can put all this stuff out there and people will buy it. <laughs> well, I was a, a controller, right? I'm an accountant by trade. And so everything I was done was risk mitigation, right? Minimize risk, right? Everything we yep. were done, A, reduce costs, reduce touch points, and minimize risk, lay people off too eventually. But that's where I yeah. went. So every time I look at something, that's where my mindset goes. I, I, it's so hard to turn it off for me. And so to me, it's a limit. In your case, it's a, it's a big advantage. All right, let's talk about this because I want to continue to blow people's minds. So I saw the the millions of SKUs. It's not a lie. It's all true. I've seen it. <laughs> Here's the next one that I think people are going to, and I kind of alluded to it at the beginning, the AI portion of it, where basically you have developed, you and your team and all the, the leaders at your place have developed the ability to take advantage of uh, something that happens in the marketplace and have a shirt based on me searching for it it'll automatically create a shirt. Am I doing it justice? Um, sort of. Okay. We, we use a little bit of static information for that. So um, that would be great if you could do that, but it doesn't necessarily create it on the fly if you're like searching for, you know, like snowmobile or something like that. Um, what it is is we took a very large grouping of words and we figured out how to make designs based on that. Um, I may not have been the first one to do it because there was uh, there was some gentleman a long time ago that did the whole keep calm and blank on, mm-hmm. you know, like keep keep calm and you know smoke on or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's similar to that concept, and so we took that on a very large scale and created it. What we did is instead of having to make all those mockups in Photoshop, we automated the ability to take that design and um, Let's see, how can I put this in non-nerd speak? If you go to a certain URL, our software will create that product image on the fly with just the things that are in the URL. So, you know, if so you give want me a an example, says, yeah. If you want a shirt that says keep calm and snowboard on, you know, we've got our domain and then you would have those words and it would create it based on that text, that font and that design and whatever it's going on, like a men's t-shirt or a coffee mug. Um, we probably, again, we probably weren't the first people to do it, but we were probably the first people to do it in this market and in this marketplace that weren't, you know, Spreadshirt or Zazzle or something like that. So we took that and we applied it to products on Amazon and that's how we listed all those products on Amazon is everything was automated. Um, the software created the CSVs that we needed to upload and then our tool that sat on our web server would create, you know, like when Amazon hit our URL for that product image our software on a website would create that product image, Amazon would download it and then it would delete it immediately. So there was no like huge space constraints or anything like that. It was like gone. Originally we were like creating 
um, all these mockups on the fly, and we have so like that's why you ended up with hundreds of millions of listings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then we figured out that our web server was like filling up, so we figured out that we had to like modify our software so that it actually deleted the photo after it, or it deleted that that thumbnail that Amazon grabbed after it had been grabbed because you didn't want it sitting on the server forever. Um, and we actually had a server crash at some point where we lost all of our images. Again, another thing you learn is like make sure you back up everything. <laughs> but but here we are. We're in the mind blowing phase because this is really. I mean, I I understand it's it's you're going to downplay it and say it's really not Steve. It's a calculator. It's not AI. But it really is. Basically, as you say, there's a whole grouping. But you can take advantage of current. Uh, current trends in that in those words, as long as you've addressed them already, somebody could technically create something. It gets created one time, sells, and all that happens behind the scenes without any human intervention. Next Correct. thing you know, a, an, an order comes you. I mean, I hope people. A, most of us never understood what you just said. Most of it just <laughs> you, you tried to dumb it down for me, and I'm, I'm I got most I got part of it, but I didn't get it all. But it's 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 very cool to me. Again, that you're thinking at that level. How many, How hard is it to gather together a team? Because it's not like you're living in Silicon Valley anymore doing this stuff, right? Well, I, I am in Silicon Valley, but to tell you the truth, California. I'm in Northern California, and it is very expensive out here for people and. Um, my team has been built through actually friends and referrals. A lot of my employees are like family or friends or friends of our employees. Um, and, uh, we have a particular, and this probably comes from doing interviewing at Google. We have a particular, particularly good knack at reading between the lines on resumes and talking to people and figuring out like, you know, like what, what is their real skill set? You know, they might have something on it like, you know, I worked at a restaurant and I was a bartender or something like that. But what that translates to us is you can work at a pace. So if you're in our production oh, department, if you're in our production department, you know, there are days when orders are slow. And like right now we're going into Q4. It's like it's going to be crazy, but they know how to work at a pace so they can get all their work done no matter how much you throw at them in a day within reason. And that kind of comes the same with, um, you know, project managers, office managers, people like that is like we very much hire to grow our employees and to give them like, um, resume building things that maybe they didn't have before, you know, like somebody might've come in and been, you know, an office manager, but we'll, you know, send them to training for like HR and, and safety and things like that so that they have these resume building things. But, you know, we look at things on their, um, resume, like, um, you know, this person worked in a medical office, you know, medical office, you have to be very detail oriented. You know, you, there's a lot to keep track of. You have to you have to be very friendly because you realize you're dealing with people that, you know, might be going through something life changing or life altering or really, you know, delicate. So when you look at somebody's resume like that, you go, OK, this person is a good people person. They're very detail oriented. Um, and, you know, I ask questions like how, you know, were the, the processes in that office established before you got there or did you establish them? And it's kind of like if they were say, you know, I. I built the process. You're like, wow, okay, so you're an outside the box thinker, or you're somebody that realizes that there was a need for something and that you created it. And so that's 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 a creative way for us to hire, and it it allows us to um, kind of bring in somebody that maybe doesn't have necessarily the experience that they we would needed, have been excluded by anybody else. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there listening to you. Every yeah. other company, we used to use those things to filter out resumes to get rid of them. Yeah. You're looking at it as it's there's oh, dude. Oh, and so it cre smart. you know 
Yeah, and it really creates um, it really creates that loyalty. I mean, there's several things, and I was going to mention that that's one of the things that we've been working on a lot lately is, um, you know, like it's competitive out here. You know, there's a lot of jobs, and you know, a lot of people, you know, they want to work somewhere they're comfortable. They want to work somewhere where the company cares about them, and so that's what we've really been focusing on this year is, you know making uh we've been trying to improve retention because it's it's really easy when you have an entry-level job to lose certain people um but we've been trying to improve retention by giving them better benefits by sending people to training by you know being aware um of you know what they have going on in their personal life not necessarily like we ask but you know just realizing something's not right and maybe giving them some leeway if there's something that you know we know that they're going through but also you know like i said giving them that chance that opportunity like hey you know, we want to bring you into this thing. And like, you know, people very much come in and they're like, wow, this is amazing that you guys are doing this. And it's in the creative space where even people that aren't creative like working for us because they feel like they're doing something fun, which is kind of nice. You know, we're not we're not selling like window shades or something, you know, like automotive parts. Well, I guess that could be interesting, too. But, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, oh, I, I think you're connecting yeah. with there's a connection. Somebody somebody had an idea they want to have their or let's let's go to the wedding they're getting married and so they want mm-hmm. bride and groom and then all the groomsmen and all that stuff right because it's the whiskey that's my son's been doing the wedding scenes whiskey mm-hmm. flasks are number one thing they're getting or knives <laughs> or cigar yeah. cutters on the guy's side i don't know what's going on, on the lady's side to be honest with you i really don't i think they get flasks too which is kind of interesting anyway um but when you get them put together I imagine as an employee, I would feel really cool like, oh, my God, can you imagine this wedding? They're going to die when they – I mean, you know what I mean? There's a pride. There's something – you're connected in some way to them. So I, I, I could see that being very rewarding as opposed to, you know, uh, welcome to uh, Good Burger. Can I take your order? You know, that kind yeah. of thing, right, where there's no connection whatsoever. Um, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's that's got to be – one of the coolest stories I've heard about employee retention because to recognize, again, I would have excluded all those people because they didn't have the qualifications, Mike. You know, these, you know, and yet you're saying these as really strong traits. I imagine the employees feel really great when you recognize that. Yeah, and, you know, it's like everybody deserves a chance and that's one thing that we look at and it works out really well in our advantage because, like I said, we do get loyal people. We do get people that want to work there. Um, we end up with a lot of different personality types, which is something that we're currently like working on understanding. It's good and bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I came from the tech world, so I'm used to people that are data driven and things like that. And now that we're hiring, you know, we've hired like a salesperson and things like that. They're a completely different personality profile. And so even I continue to learn every single day, even through podcasts and other things on, you know, like, you know, what kind of personality does this person have? How do I connect with them? You know, how much do I need to give them? You know, how much do I need to guide them? Are they more hands off? And that's all the way up and down the spectrum. I mean, that can go from, you know, the person that's creating our mugs all the way up to, you know, my operations manager that's right underneath me that manages like, you know, multiple staff plus oversees like our production manager who oversees our production department. So it's a lot of personalities. And, you know, it a lot of this is through experience. Like hmm. we've had... um We've had issues where, you know, employees got into fights, not fights, like no, don't think like physical fist fights, but, you know, arguments. And then somebody was mad at somebody else for like a month. And we, you know, realized, OK, we need to understand what's happening here because there's this whole other thing. It's like, OK, this person's doing this job, but, you know, they have their own things going on in their personal life. And sometimes those bleed over into work when they don't mean to. So we kind of need to understand who's who, how do they function, 
you know, what makes them tick, what, what drives them, what makes them motivated, what demotivates them. And obviously we want to stay away from that stuff. So, you know, we, uh, have done a lot of research on that communication too, is actually huge. Um, I've read a lot of books on communication. And it's one of the hardest places, right? Most people fail in there, period. Yeah, and it is It is hard. Like Sometimes you can't get people to talk, um, and it's almost really bad if you try to assume you know what the person is thinking. Hmm. So you have to find creative ways to find out what's going on or what they do. And a lot of people will freeze on the spot. You know, and you're like, hey, what kind of learner are you? And they're like, I don't know. You're like, oh, okay. Well, do you, you know, do you learn by doing it? Do you learn by seeing it? Do you learn by reading it? Do you learn by like watching a video? You know, like if you were going to figure out how to change the oil in your car, what would you do? And the person might be like, well, I'd probably go to YouTube. Like, okay, so you're a visual learner. Some people would be like, well, I'd probably just go out there and pull the cap and see what happened. You know, mm-hmm. okay, so you're actually a doer. And some people would be like, well, I'll, I'd call my dad and ask him to come over and show me. Okay, so you need somebody to physically show you. You know, so it's like that. It's just like understanding how those people learn, how they think, and then taking that and applying it. But it doesn't work for everybody. Every single person on this planet is different. So you kind of get the overview, and then you have to like understand where they're coming from, what their background is, and work with them on certain things. And um, I can tell you, one of the best things you can do is like add humor. <laughs> Anytime you can add humor to the work workplace, you know, you're, you you instantly get people to like open up or you know break that ice that you know they're scared of me because I'm the owner of the company. No, it's, I'm, I'm not like that. Like we're a team, you know, like from the bottom to the top, we're a team and everybody usually knows what's going on with the company from the top to the bottom. So I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, okay, where does this come from? Because a, you're a nerd, a, a B you're a creative nerd. So you really shouldn't have this management skill set. You shouldn't have the ability. You shouldn't have this depth, Michael, but I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Hmm, is this the way you want to be treated? And is this the way you wish you were treated? Or maybe you were treated that way and you took the best from that and said, this is where I'd like to be. So others must be like that too. You know, I've, I've had some bad managers and I will say that, um, you know, throughout the years I've learned from experience and, you know, I saw what some of these managers did and I've had some amazing managers too. Like I can think of a few off the top of my head that were absolutely amazing. And it, they were amazing for their own reasons. Like for me on some of these jobs, I just want to be left alone and I want to be able to free think and do what I wanted to manage my time. And then usually I would come out as the top performer, but they would stand behind me You know, they would stand up for me. And then you knew I'd they have... had your back regardless, even when, you, cause I can't imagine you were right every single time you had to fail. Correct. And then, you know, my manager would see it was, it was cool. really easy for him to see it, you know, that, if you ask me a question like, why did you do that? I'd be like, well, here's my thought process, you know, and actually I kind of do that at my company now. Like if somebody comes to me and they, you know, they made a bad decision. The first thing I'll ask is, you know, why did you, why did you do that? And I look for that answer, you know, like if they had a rational thought process and I mean rational, not like they were like, well, I thought it was the right thing to do just because that's not a good answer. And that's not a good reason to make a decision. But if they were like, you know, because point A happened, point B happened, and point C happened, I thought we needed to skip point D and go to point E. Like, okay, so you thought through this, and, you know, it just, you know, it, it wasn't a mistake. It was just, it didn't go the way that you thought it would. But you you took the time to think through that. Um, and that's and, communication and that's, again. You're back to communicating. Yeah, communication. So, <laughs> you know, like like I said, I... I, growing up in school, like you said, I was a nerd. I, I mean, I was, I was a nerd. I, I mean I, that I in a positive way, by the way. I know. 
Yeah, I loved facts. I loved history. I loved concrete things. In school, I did terrible in the um, the classes where you're like, well, analyze this book and think, what was the author thinking when they were there? I've always got those questions wrong, and I never thought I would be able to do this. But as I got older, as I got wiser, as I had a lot more experience, I realized that the way that I was doing things where everything was based analytically and on data, a person doesn't always think like that. They don't, you know, their brain isn't a computer. It's an amazing thing, but it's going to have little inferences and influences from other places that are going to make it do certain things. And the best way to do it is to, you know, not categorize people, but just understand what their personality type is and how to do it. And yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey with a lot of training, um, a lot of learning, a lot of understanding, a lot of trial and error. Um, but it has immensely helped our company stay focused, stay on track, point in the right direction, and ultimately succeed um, on things like retention, hiring the right people, making sure that you've got the right team, you know, um, making sure that you don't have any, um, you know, people that are going to um, poison yeah. the bunch, right? One one bad yeah. apple, right? Could uh, it's, it, it is it, a cancer, hmm. and it happens. And when you see that, and that's part of being. Um, aware, spatially aware of what is happening in your company is you have to act on that quickly. But I don't mean like you come down and like, you know, like belittle the person. I mean, you sit down with them and you say, all right, what is going on? What happened? You know, how can we, pre- a very, you know, very calming tone. Even, you know, we've studied body language, like don't cross your arms when you're talking to somebody because you look like you're in a defensive position, you know, like even hand symbols, like we've gone to training for all, our management has gone to training for all this stuff so that we can talk to those bad apples, find out what's going on, figure out if there's a way that we can fix it or just figure out what's going on with them at the company. Like maybe they're, you know, it could be something that they're just not happy with. It could be something down like somebody's handing them a paper sheet when they want an Excel sheet. You know, we've we've had that happen and they were annoyed, but they never said anything about Mm. it. So it's like fix the process, but you have to kind of get down to the root of what's going on. And, you know, if you do it, if you come at them with empathy and, you know, you, you're like, hey, I understand there's an issue. Hey, you know, we're all really working hard here trying to figure it out. You're doing a great job. But, you know, there's this issue. So, you know, let's let's talk about this. Why did this particular incident, you know, occur in your mind? And then they usually will open up. So, but yeah, all this management and communication. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely different from anything I ever had to do. Um. Well, let's, uh, let me ask this question. Cause I called you a tech company, but man, you got a lot of human, uh, a lot of human development going on there too. Would you say, and I, I think this is a fair question. When you look at the success of your company, is it technology that's had you successful or people that's made you successful? Um, it's probably a little bit of both, but okay. to have the technology, you need the people okay. and the people need to be motivated and, meet deadlines and be creative and things so you're like not that. valuing one over the I, I i think that's the answer you're not valuing one over the other you're saying they're both necessary and i think the fact that you're doing that makes you a, a great place to work i mean because it's kind of, you're, yeah that's kind cool. of back to that yeah it's kind of back to that diversify idea it's like don't put all your eggs in one basket yeah, don't put all your eggs yeah. in technology you got to put your eggs in management communication technology you know production processes even things down to safety i mean we you know like I hate to say that we didn't know what we were doing, but you know, we're a small company and, um, we moved into an 8,500 square foot facility just over the summer. And there's a lot of, there's not a lot of ways out of our building. So, so we're slips, like, trips, oh. falls everywhere. Yeah. Slips, trips, falls. So we kind of, 
you know, figured out like, hey, okay, we don't really know how to do safety. And we got like quotes for people like come out and they're like really expensive. We're like, all right, well, let's send, you know, let's let's do the research ourselves and let's take experience that we learned from the past. So we had, you know, we've had like people that worked at like grocery stores and things like that where, you know, like they've done the research. They know, you know, like you got to have an exit sign or, you know, emergency exit route from these building this side of the building. Um, I have a friend in law enforcement um, that came out and actually evaluated like you know, what we would do during natural disaster, where we should go, where we should meet, things like that. So it's kind of like, it's a little bit of everything um, to get back to your original question. You know, it's diversified, but also, you know, take care of your employees. Well, it's a respect issue. To me, the fact that you respect them, and I think anybody listening to this will say that, oh my gosh, this guy respects the value his employees bring because he understands that he wouldn't be anywhere without them, um, yeah, including I mean, the technology. That's cool. Yeah, they, they're your number one asset. I mean, anybody that tells you any different is lying. Like your employees are everything. And it doesn't matter what equipment you have. It doesn't matter what size building you're in. It doesn't matter what truck is shipping your stuff, you know, to your to the Amazon warehouse or whatever. Your Your best asset and your biggest asset is your employees. One of the cool things that you talked about earlier was diversifying, and, and then I want to close up with those uh, the points because I always ask people, you know, hey, uh, somebody called me out and said, hey, you know, you're pushing courses, Steve. You're not, uh, you're not um, um, helping people. Somebody said that about. I mean, I'm like, I, I, I do have a few people that I do push their stuff, but most mm-hmm. of the time, 99% of the time, I don't. But okay, fair. So I want to make sure I, I spend more time on this. Is really helping people who get stuck. Okay, because that's really what the goal of the podcast is, is people get they're they're not they're hampered by the technology. They're not they're not developers or they don't have the capacity to to instruct a developer to be able to get what they need. Right. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, For you. It doesn't sound you're making it sound and this isn't a criticism, but you make it sound like, you know, you're, we're only telling the positive side. We're not talking about all the negatives that, you know, came along, all that trial and error, right? You know, mm-hmm. your hundredth time you hit a home run, but we didn't talk about the 99 times at bat prior. Yeah. When, when you're stuck, how do you get past it? How do you, I mean, is it a team effort? Is it a go and think like a Bill Gates in a cabin in the woods for a week and read white papers? Or I mean, how do you get past that? So... Yeah, it's funny you ask this. I have to do this a lot. Um, I go for a hike and I listen to podcasts. And if I'm really overwhelmed, I don't listen to anything except music. And I work through things in my head. And like I li- visually, like, like you're seeing a step. If, I, if he moves the ladder this way and then he yeah, pulls this lever I'm, here. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm literally doing the um, chess moves. Like if I oh. move my piece here, what's going to happen there? What's this guy going to do? But... I don't mean I'm solving the individual problem. I actually mean I'm thinking through how I'm going to utilize people that I already have, you know, resources of and how I can ask this guy for help. And then maybe he has an answer and then I'll take that answer and I'll go to my developer and I'll say, Hey, you know, who's my, one of my best friends. He's, he's, he works in my company. He's in house. I don't use outside developers. And I say, how can we do this? You know, my friend over here says this and, Pretty much I, I become the messenger and, you know, sometimes it's hard to think about. Like you, I, that's why I have to take a step back. I go out into nature and I do some hiking and I'm sitting there and I'm kind of working through things in my head and, um, you know, it, it's just, yeah, it's a thought process. It's like, use your resources. Like you say, like people may not know how to talk to a developer or things like that, but 
you know, you might have a friend that does, or they might have a friend of a friend. Yeah. There's plenty of online forums out there too that you can ask interactive questions. Um, and I mean, but that's I'm maturity, member. dude. That's maturity because yeah, you're a guy people, and you're supposed to know everything. Yeah, I know. Some people don't. Some people can't ask for help and won't. And what I want to say to them is, don't be like that. You know, like you need to stand on the shoulders of the people that have done the things Ooh. before you, and Ooh. jump up and get over them and do them better or do you know learn from people you know you don't need to reinvent the wheel you know you don't need to figure out how to do you don't need to figure out how to be a coder if you're a sales guy you know well well, what you said was what you said it was a great example so you're looking at your uh safety concerns and you had somebody who worked in a grocery store well they dealt with a zillion aisles they dealt with a whole bunch of things right a lot of a lot of moving of uh pallets and all that so they have skill sets Um, and most people would put them in a box and say, okay, all you can do is pick up widgets. That's it because you stock shelves yet. They have all these other skill sets and recognizing. And so I kind of write these titles for each show as I do. And I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it and saying, recognize and utilize skill sets of your team to solve your problems. Yeah. That's that. That's mature, Michael. That's very mature. I'm serious. (laughs) I sit back and I, I, again, you know, you, you were, uh, a guy who worked at Google, you weren't running some big company and here you are making uh, big company decisions in a small environment. I mean, you're, you're I mean, it's pretty cool. With little uh, funding to well, do we so. Well, very little resources. But, but isn't that <laughs> yeah. the coolest part too sometimes? The bootstrap, I mean, I know you, you've scaled to a larger than that, but doesn't it, isn't it cool that you still oh, yeah. get to do that? Isn't that like part of the fun? Yeah. Yeah, let's strap on those boots and figure out how to do what we can do with little or no funding and little or no time. And like you said, we don't always hit it out of the park. 99 out of 100 times we might strike out or we've we've built tools where by the time that we finished them, the rule on Amazon had already changed. So it was like pretty much useless, you know. Yeah, but aren't uh, those things applicable later on, the concepts, right? I mean, to um, me, that's the smart thing is you building these mental concepts. Yeah, we've we've had to pivot quite a few projects um, because something changed in the middle outside our control. Again, going back to that, somebody else is controlling your business outside of it, like Amazon. It's like we've had to pivot a few times, um, and uh, you know, we like I said, we spent a lot of time doing the employee development and things like that. Now we're actually getting into project management and trying to. Um, basically manage our projects because that's the next thing you know like i said diversify you know fix one thing move on to the next don't just keep going back and working only on that so Mm. our next step is kind of like project management in-house and uh we just hired a guy to help us i went to a bunch of training actually for project management like and again i never thought i'd be doing anything like this because it's so abstract and not concrete but it's really interesting stuff well when you think about it if you take that those the stuff that you just learned and you went back and applied it throughout your life, you know, mentally. I don't know if you do those things. I do. I'm always reflective looking back. And I think to myself, man, I wish I would have known this or where could I have been by applying this? Or I'm able to apply it going forward. And when I see it, I can immediately like this is a concept. You know, I think of my MBA, for example. It gives you the, the ability to think is what I used to describe it as. I was the only it taught you how to think. And so mm-hmm. you have that, you can break things down and just reassemble them. That was what I learned. So those things that you're learning are applicable and will, will transfer as you continue to move on again, outside of your control. Cause you don't know what the future leads. Exactly. I'm a problem solver at heart. And the one thing I learned is don't ever be narrow minded because 
you really never know what's going on the other side of the, you know, on the other side of your company, on the other side of that person, on the other side of the world, like unless somebody tells you. And then you might have to do things that you're not comfortable with to, you know, move forward. But don't be afraid. You know, like I said, there's plenty of people out there that have come before you that have the same problems, fears, anxiety, and, you know, and, the, and, and you know what I'm saying, like so forth. So, yeah, like, just every don't, person, I don't care who they are. Bill yeah. Gates has those same anxieties. I know just, he does. Yeah, just don't lock yourself in a box. That's all you can do. Don't lock yourself in a box and only think that I'm going to do this forever. Really, you should have, you know, if you have something that hits well in business, you should have three more things on the back burner almost ready to go while that's um, going. Yeah. Because it's it, these days, it's like you might have the best product on Amazon for like two or three months and then it's done. It's, it's gone. You know, <laughs> like the market's gone else, or yeah. it's hazmat or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. it's like, you should always have like three or four more things in the can and you should always be learning. You should always be developing. You should always be listening to people around you and pay attention to what's happening and don't stay locked in a box. You got to be aware. You got to know what's going on. You got to be not afraid to dive in, jump in, meet people, talk to people, go on a podcast. You know, this is, this is something I would never thought I would have been doing. I know. I, I pushed you ago. hard. I pushed you hard yeah. for this because, you know, I mean, I guarantee you, I'll get comments from people. They send me personal notes. They'll be like, oh, my God, that guy was really cool or really <laughs> made me think because I didn't think. Nah, <laughs> no, but it, it just, uh, I mean, wait, wait till they hear this. So I pushed Michael to say, hey, do you print on demand for other people? Would you consider that? And he said, yeah, we do consider that. We haven't developed it yet. That might be a path we go on. And so if you're a merch designer, a real designer, not a Steve designer, because I've got shirts up, but they're, <laughs> you know, I'm not that guy. But but and you're looking for another avenue, this might be a very uh, strong avenue for you. And so I've asked Michael, he's going to give us an email that you can get on a list. Now, who knows if it's going to come to fruition? He isn't there yet, but it's something to consider. Again, they might not have considered that until you've exposed them to it, Michael. I mean, to me, that's the cool thing. It's just by listening to you, you just expanded somebody's um, thought process. I mean, is that that's cool. I mean, you know, like I, I really take pride in talking to people these days and just, you know, it really comes down to it. It's like, I don't want people to make the same mistakes I did. It, you know, like stand on my shoulders and, yeah, and, that's so and powerful move when above you me. say that. Ooh, that's yeah. so powerful. But that's, yeah. again, we're back to maturity. Most people would be like, oh no, this is secret sauce. Steve, I can't tell anybody. No, I, I got to keep this to myself. This is me. I'm, you know, but that's, that's the mistake, but that's the truth though. You know what I'm talking about? All right, so if somebody wants to follow up and they want to maybe get on a list that if, if you possibly do look into printing for others, um, yourself, what email could they send a, a note to? Um, probably, so we're building a website right now that's going to be something similar to um, like a Zazzle or a Spreadshirt where you know can get all kinds of customized designs and things like that. So uh, the email address to reach me at that is mike at... F-I-O, so that's Frank I, uh, what's the phonetic? <laughs> uh, F-I-O, F, uh, as in Ig or Frank Igloo uh, Original. Oscar. Oscar, Oscar's good, yep. All right, so it's uh, Frank <laughs> Igloo. Sorry, you, might have, you might have to cut this part. No, this is good. This is this is exactly, this is where two nerds, right. you know. Yeah, so two, it's Mike at F-I-O Prince, so that's P as in Paul, R-I-N-T-S dot com. Um, that's okay. going to be the website that we're coming up and running. Um, I know this is going to air in about two weeks probably, so bear with us if the website doesn't look good. But you can definitely email me there. Ask me any questions you have about anything business-related, management, 
uh, print on demand, you know, Amazon, whatever. Or um, I'm on Facebook too. So uh, right, I'll put that Mike, link there too. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. I'll put the link there too. Dude, I, again, I mean, it's just, it, it brings this whole conversation back to when we were in Vegas. I remember sitting there saying, oh my God, you know, and you were so humbled about it. Um, almost. Not un, not uncomfortable, but you're just like, wow, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. And I'm sitting there like, are you kidding me? I mean, to me, you know, and especially somebody who gets to talk to so many great, successful people, I just love um, your perspective. I think the value that you bring to the staff and the value that you recognize in them is just so cool. Give me the chills as I'm sitting here uh, thinking about it. So, man, I, I wish you nothing but success. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on this. Man, what a great guy. What a smart guy. How cool is that? You know, just just think of that thought process at Google and, and how they taught him to think that way. And then he comes along and applies that and applies something he's kind of had a passion for. And then, boom, it's like a magic formula. Describe that. Somebody described, like, when I think about my diet, we're doing that keto diet still, right, a group of us. And it's like a recipe. It's not one thing. It's like, well, how much magnesium do you need to take or how many carbs or how many this— it's not one thing. It's a recipe. Well, guess what? Your business is a recipe too. Um, sometimes it needs a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that. And yours is different because you're going this flavor and I'm going that. I mean, that's what's so cool about it. Um, but when you figure out that recipe and you start to fine tune it, like you heard Michael describe, man, it's just amazing the places you can go. EcommerceMomentum.com, EcommerceMomentum.com. Take care. Thanks for listening to the e-commerce momentum podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.